This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, City Limits, and uh, that uh, that song we uh, came in then, by the way, said it's T-shirt weather, but I can assure you it isn't, although it's a Not sunny day. It's going to be a lovely day rest of the day, I think, but today was the first day, Zeb. I'm Kevin Healy, Zeb Peak over there. We uh, City Limits was the first day I've worn gloves this this year, and if you ride a bike on that path under the under Royal Parade, the old railway line there, on the way here, which is probably the coldest spot in Melbourne ever, I think. <laughs> this morning the gloves were most welcome, let me tell you. Uh, yeah. It's very cold down there. Anyway, uh, today is Housing Day and uh, we've got a couple of guests. You've got a couple of regulars, or half a regular, um, tied up, uh, teed up, uh, Zip. Yeah, so we've got Jack Verdens in the second half, um, who is our regular, and we're hoping that we can get Fiona Ross on the line as well. She is actually one of the founders of Friends of Public Housing. Mm. Um, so it would be fantastic to talk to her. Uh, but we're doing some last-minute check-ins to see whether that's yes, happening. Yes, I've been trying to get Fiona <laughs> on this program for years. So uh, if, if, Jack can, if Jack can succeed or you can succeed, I give you great credit and tribute because she's, she's a wonderful advocate for public housing, but just that she seems to be nervous about coming on radio. But don't know why. Because she's a very good speaker, in fact. Yeah. Um, and if she's heard me speak on radio, then she should know not to be worried at all. <laughs> that's right. And she knows me. So, what's my God, she's got everything going for her. Um, and, of course, in the first half, we're going to be talking to um, Shane McGrath from the Housing with the Aged Action Group and a few events happening there. And we'll talk to Shane about a number of items, including uh, one, New South Wales has advertised for a... Um, a rental advocate person, um, sort of a rental ombuds type person. And I mentioned to Shane yesterday, you know, about Victoria should do the same thing. He said, well, we actually, we have got one, but <laughs> we don't know much about it. So we'll ask Shane to explain what this person does um, this morning as well. Um, so right. that's, uh, that's yeah. it. It's housing. And of course, housing has been in the news incredibly all over the place at the moment. There are all sorts of solutions. And we'll talk to our guests about that because... Even though there's been a series of articles about housing, that none of them go to the what we consider the solution, and the public purse actually putting up public housing. They all seem to find solutions somewhere in the private sector, which uh, have in fact caused the problem in the first place. Yeah, but yeah, there has been a While lot. While you're of talking, news. I'll just pour you a cup of tea, by the way. Yeah, you? thank okay. you. Okay. That all right? Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of New South Wales housing news. Um, perhaps it's to do with the the changeover of state government, um, but. It's been revealed that uh, almost $3.6 billion worth of public housing stock and land was um, sold by the previous government over the past 12 years. Um, And so now the new housing minister, Rose Jackson, Jackson has ordered a pause on the sale of all public housing stock. Um, 
So I suppose, you know, <laughs> that's at least one good thing that they're not going to um, keep selling off even more straight away. Um, but we'll have to see. <laughs> Wait and see. But yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, let's hope. Um, a couple of items before we go to our guests, of course. Um, uh, we're hoping Karina comes in today as well. She's back. She's over her illness, so she she may well be in. She's probably on the way here somewhere at the moment. Um, but uh, we hope to see her soon as well. Have a full team for City Limits. Wow, incredible. <laughs> um, there was a headline in the um, Herald Sun um, on Monday. Uh, it's one hex of a blow, H-E-C-S, and it's about the tax indexing, the way it's indexed on hex um, debts and how it's unfair to students and they keep increasing even though they're paying them off, etc. But I, I raise that only because on the night of the budget it was pointed out by one observer who was critical of the fact that they were getting, as we talked to Freya last week about this, they were getting so little from the extra tax on gas because they, they, they adopted the proposal put forward by the gas industry itself, for God's sake. <laughs> Um, they're so little that, in fact, it was pointed out that the, the government would get more from university students in the, in the same period than they'll get from the gas industry, even though the gas industry is making massive record profits from our resources. So I just thought that was worth pointing out. Mm, yeah, that's a good comparison. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? Um, but, of course, the university students can then become um, mining engineers or whatever, and I suppose then. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's, what cool. comes around goes around, or oh, yeah, some right. sort of appropriate <laughs> saying. <laughs> or some might even go into, you know, waste would waste their lives on things like environmental issues or something and try to save the planet. Surely not. No, well, I hope not. <laughs> um, now, uh, this, this is one of those incredible Herald Sun stories. This was the page four lead yesterday with a big picture of um, Bowen. Now, I don't want to necessarily go into bat for Chris Bowen too much because he's the bloke who's behind all this extra gas and things we're doing and, uh, and the gas tax to, to a great degree. But there's him and there's a, a, a Simpsons character um, alongside in their sort of photograph, they're done together on a photograph of The Simpsons, a drawing obviously of The Simpsons character with Bowen. But um, Doe, D O, Chris, it's scraping barrel, ministers scare tactics toxic, and he's being attacked for not adopting nuclear energy. Um, and um, Dr. Adrian Patterson, who ran Australia's sole nuclear reactor at Lucas Heights for a dozen years as chief executive of the nuclear mob, deemed Bowen over an anti-nuclear, uh, uh, slammed him over an anti-nuclear video he posted on social media attacking the opposition support for small modular reactors. And it goes on to point, the whole story points out how wonderful these things are, including comments by the um, opposition's assistant energy spokesperson woman Holly Hughes, I've never heard of till yesterday, but here she is. And she said of Bowen's nuclear waste thing, he's, uh, waste uh, barrels, he might have gotten it from the Simpsons opening credits. So she she brought that into it. He might have got it from the Simpsons opening credits. It is embarrassing that the minister doesn't have the basic ability to tell the truth, etc. the usual crap. But she brought that in. But then the headline is all about the Simpsons. And the first paragraph is Energy Minister Chris Bowen has been accused of getting his knowledge of nuclear energy from the Simpsons. Um, but, you know, the stories are beat up about him and the Simpsons and how he, all that. But it's, in fact, one comment she made as an attack on him. 
Uh, but the Herald Sun's turned it into this whole Simpsons thing with uh, with Bowen, which I just find one a, a typical Herald Sun tactic. That's all. <laughs> uh. Yes, good, good to see that they're you know they're providing consistency. Mm-hmm. If that nothing might else. be the that's right. That could be the last time Chris Bowen gets any sympathy on this program too. But that's beside the point. Um, now, there's been an item floating around. We did mention, in fact, on this program some time ago now, because it, 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 the, the story arose going back a fair way, um, or say two or three months, that a bloke called Collins, Peter Collins, I think his name is, had been um, sprung. He, he was, he was um, receiving confidential advice from the government. He works for PwC, PricewaterhouseCooper, one of the big, probably the biggest of those companies, those big four companies in the world economics, world finance. And he had, he was getting it, getting information confidentially about tax changes, etc. Now, why the government needs to consult these people anyway? Because these people then, they, they advise people how to avoid the taxes, but the government still, they, they bring them in and they have confidential discussions. And he's been leaking it for years to his, um, to his cohorts in PwC, who've been then using it. And in fact, at first it, well, they said, well, only he knew it and he was leaking it, but as it's gone on, by the day, there have been more and more people becoming involved at PricewaterhouseCooper. And recently then the government, the Senate, held an inquiry into it, which leaked, which at least released some emails that were floating around PwC over those years, which showed that they were in fact deliberately using confidential information to get major, the, the big international companies, Google and all those big companies, to advise them on how to avoid the new taxes Australia was bringing in. And they boast that they made millions of dollars in fees out of using the confidential information. Uh, so it's getting worse and worse for PricewaterhouseCooper. Uh, and it's blown up now, at least, they say at least 53 of their people in, are involved in the whole thing. So it's, it's going to keep blowing up and getting worse and worse. And of course, the, 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 the head, the chief of uh, the bloke has now taken over PricewaterhouseCooper. Um, has um, come up with about five or six different stories, almost one by the day, as more information comes out that shows that yesterday's story wasn't quite true. Uh, and uh, it, we'll see where it goes from here. There's people saying, well, they should be banned for a number, because Collins himself was banned from giving advice as a financial counsellor or being involved in any business of any sort, of that sort, for, I think, four years or something. Uh, but... Um, uh, the, the people are saying, well, the Price Waterhouse Cooper should not receive government any more government contracts for X number of time. I think forever would be my term. And why should they anyway? And they're one of the companies that gets millions off the government every year as consultants when the work should be done by public servants in the first place. And mm-hmm. at least this government is talking about keep making the public servant uh, purpose uh, bigger and growing it and uh, and taking some of that work back. But. Uh, that's going to keep developing that PwC thing, and we'll see what happens. But it'd be nice if, in fact, someone said that maybe they should. There's, there's an argument for them uh, facing criminal charges, in fact, over the whole thing. Um, and uh, in, and in fact, a Labor Senator Deborah O'Neill, who chaired the inquiry, she she came out and said that uh, she's called for a clear out of all partners and staff actively or passively involved and says until then the firm cannot be uh, trusted by government or corporate uh, clients 
to keep confidential material secret. Well, the corporate clients are the ones who benefited from it, of course. They didn't pay the taxes they were supposed to pay, thanks to, uh, thanks to good old uh, PwC. Mm. Uh, another interesting item, it's, it's just a, um, it's one I found, yeah, one I found interesting was that there's a, there's a column in the Financial Review where they get quite nasty about certain people. It's quite right wing, but they also, there's certain people they, they realise, they get into because they're not, they claim they're not doing a good job. And one of them, they get stuck into, um, into Qantas. And uh, and our good old mate, uh, the head of Qantas, whose Irish accent I cannot stand, and is the only Irish accent in the world I cannot stand. Uh, <clears throat> but because they've been getting into them, uh, it's Qantas has now banned the Financial Review from its lounges and from its from it, from from its wow. from areas where it used to be. People used to be business people could go in and pick up the Financial Review in the lounges and all in the, all over the place, but now it's it's out. So they've 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 <laughs> they've got rid of the Financial Review. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> that's that's that. Um, <laughs> So that do you have any items, by the way, you wanted to raise other than the ones we've been going on about? I don't really have any extra items. There's some interesting stuff about, um, you know, the the new funding that's going to go towards um, improving homes' energy efficiency. Um, but maybe we can even talk about that with our guests. And um, yeah, apart from that, I don't think I have anything to add. Oh, good God, nothing, nothing to add. No. Uh, <laughs> Terribly boring. <laughs> oh, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah. Another one that's been interesting is um, is Downer, the big um, manufacturing um, company that often makes um, public transport vehicles, actually, as well. But it had a contract with Sydney Transport um, to um, to look after a number of areas. Um, in terms of maintenance, in terms of various things, building new stations, etc. But there's an inquiry. The the New South Wales, that which is a much stronger uh, anti-corruption body than the one we've got here, or the one even I think even the federal government's talking about. Uh, it's been inquiring into them, and uh, has discovered that they were giving contracts out to companies that had no staff, that didn't exist, etc., wow. uh, which all belonged to people who sort of belonged to them. Uh, and so there's a whole anti-corruption thing going on there where because then they'd give it to a company that had no staff where, where the person who ran the company was either a, a downer employee or ex-employee or whatever, and then they'd, they'd sublet it out but make a lot off the top. So yeah. they were making millions out of uh, out of the public transport situation, but there's a full uh, IBAC inquiry been going on for some time into that. But it's just another area of massive corruption in the corporate sector. Heaps of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> another one that I find um, interesting. There was a campaign some years ago by particularly people who'd worked in the area, the old railway sheds um, down near Spencer Street, which were um, were the good sheds, which is a a heritage building. But then Lang Walker, who's a big, big developer out of Sydney, he has um, developed a fair bit of it and torn down about half the shed. But he's now got a proposal to um, really get rid of the rest of it with a $750 million plan for a twin tower office project. And um, 
It's, uh, you know, another massive project which has been approved by Melbourne City Council, but the Heritage Council has stepped in and said no because there's only about half the shed left. We At least we want to keep that. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's a campaign on because the shed represents, a, you know, a major part of working-class history in that part of the world. Uh, but that wouldn't worry Lang Walker, of course. And uh, so that fight is on. And ultimately, the state... Um, government and the state planning minister will make the decision whether it goes ahead or not. But at the moment, the Heritage Council is holding it up. And just as a by the by, um, while Lang Walker is tearing up or wants to tear up vestiges of working class history around Melbourne, um, you'll be pleased to know that he has just spent, um, I don't know if we got the price here, but he, he, he um, he's bought the second largest tapestry commissioned for his four towers at Parramatta Square in Sydney, and it's rumoured to have cost in the multi-billions for this tapestry. Yeah. Uh, Took artists from the Australian Tapestry Workshop 18 months to weave, and it's 11.5 metres wide, 7 metres high, um, and it's... He wanted to do something significant, Walker said. I just love this. We have a large art collection with hundreds of works, but this is the first tapestry. So <laughs> while Lang's destroying that, it's good to know that he's got a lovely tapestry that cost him multi-millions, isn't it? And he can afford it. Well, I have nothing against uh, people weaving tapestries as long as they, they're paid well for it. Uh, but I am a little bit more suspect on... Um, large developments on heritage sites, especially in the CBD where, um, you know, I wonder whether people should maybe be rethinking development in the CBD after the pandemic. You know, there's there's been far fewer people needing to go into the CBD and there's always been talk of, you know, 15, 20-minute city and um, more amenities closer to where people actually live. Like, do we need... Do we need more stuff in the CBD? Not really. Good question. Good question. Um, the answer is I don't know. Uh, I think probably not, in fact. I mean, there's massive, massive buildings that are going up all over the place. And, um, well, they, they must... Uh, the market decides, of course. We've got to give way to the market, haven't we? Now, speaking of big developers, John Gandell is one of the big ones. He's one of the richest families or richest men in the country. And he runs, he owns Chadston Shopping Centre, among others. I mean, he owns lots of things, but Chadston he owns, among others. And it's just been expanded. <clears throat> so it's, um, it, it's, it's an expansion which now covers close to 240,000 square metres. And um, the latest development, the, which opened this month, added uh, 10,500 squares occupied by 17 entertainment and dining tenants. And um, John himself uh, said, um, with regular attendance at his office in Chadston, Gandell often visits the giant mall in his spare time purely for amusement as much as any shopping need. Investment in more than 50 developments, um, redevelopments has never been dictated by short-term gains and was now paying off, he said. It's fun. So I think, you know, if, if you own Chadston, go and watch all the money pouring in and people spending millions and see your, your wealth growing by the day, you stand there and watch it and it's fun. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so we're glad John has fun watching people spend their money at Chadston. And uh, that reminds me, of, well, we've said it on this stage before, but when um, the, the, the 
Matt Patriarch of the Smorgan family, the big meat family and that, that big investment family died. Um, at his funeral, his grandson said that when I, the grandson, was a little boy, uh, he took me through one of the meatworks and I said to him, isn't that a, the abattoirs? And he's, I said, isn't that a terrible smell, Grandpa? And he said, no. He said, that's the smell of money. Mm. <sighs> these, pe- these people are such wonderful souls, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, it's probably so, time to well, go I did want to raise one break. more item before okay, we go. one to, more. We'll go, <laughs> yes, we'll go to, um, then we'll go to uh, Shane McGrath. Um, <clears throat> a few months ago, uh, we might recall Santos, which also has shown absolute disrespect for the local indigenous people, as it's one of the people developing the fracking sites in the Beetaloo Basin up in Northern Territory, the fracking gas sites. Uh, it also has the Barossa Gas Project off the nor- off Northern Australia, and of course it wants to run its pipeline through the Tiwi Islands back to Darwin, and. Um, it got held up in the court. It went to court and said it believed that the Tiwi Island people who were who took it to court opposing the pipeline, uh, you might recall, uh, they he said they virtually said the Aboriginal people had no right to to object that they had no standing. They had they you know they just virtually what are they talking about? What what rights have they got to object to this? Essentially dismissing the Aboriginal people as being totally in, inconsequential. Um, but then the court ruled that it in fact had to consult them and uh, go through a process. And so there's a full page ad in, in, in the paper the other day. We're listening. Santos, Barossa Gas Project, seeking relevant persons, subsea infrastructure installation environment plan. Santos is seeking to identify and consult with relevant persons whose functions, interests or activities may be affected by activity itself. They go, so suddenly they're listening and they care about the Indigenous people. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? And what thanks do they get? The traditional owners have now gone to the banks and the ANZ Bank and the people who are funding their proposal, telling them not to, not to fund it. Nice. It's disgusting when, <laughs> when they're listening. Santos is listening. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the latest on that one. Let's uh, get Shane McGraw on the line. On May 20, new anti-protest laws will come into effect in Victoria targeting forest protectors. Sign up to be part of a mass survey action to protect and restore forests and defend the right to protest. Surveying is the act of looking for threatened species in an area slated to be logged in order to trigger protections. All forest protectors, whether at protest camps or citizen scientists, are targeted with these new anti-democratic laws. To sign up, go to geco.org.au. Be a part of this epic survey action on Saturday the 20th of May so that we can protect and restore the critical forest ecosystems that we all depend on defend the right to protest in the process. Goongra Environment Centre is a 3CR supporter. 
3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Okay, back on City Limits. That was just Kevin in the background pouring some more tea to keep us hydrated. Um, And we've got Shane McGrath from Housing for the Age Action Group on the line now. How are you going, Shane? Yeah, good, thanks. There might have been some noise in the background from the cat here as well. Sorry about that. <laughs> we love cat noises, you know. It, it adds ambiance. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's plenty of ambiance here, though. <laughs> Wonderful. Shane, how's it with the Age Action Group? Um, we perhaps would tell listeners who don't know, Shane McGrath is from the Housing with Age Action Group. He's a regular commentator on this program. Shane, what's the latest from, um, from HAG? Uh, well, I guess one thing that's happening this week for HAG is our May general meeting. So uh, as we've often told listeners on your show, you can get a great uh, great lunch at a HAG meeting. Um, so if you're a member and want to come along, uh, that's from 11 till 12.30 at Ross House tomorrow. Uh, if you're not a member, it's not too late to join up at oldertenants.org.au uh, and come along. Rightio. And uh, anything else? What else is happening at HAG? I mean, the usual, there's a, you know, I don't know if listeners will have heard, but there's a housing crisis, a rental affordability crisis. So um, that's something that we're seeing, you know, every day. Uh, older people really, really struggling at the moment, more so um, than, you know, we would have seen even at fairly critical points earlier. In, in what way are they struggling? I mean, are they being thrown out of rental housing or what's going on? Oh, yeah, or, or just not be able to afford the rent anymore? I mean, I guess there's all kinds of ways that people are struggling at the moment. People are, you know, making choices to forego medicine or meals so that they can pay the rent, they can pay their utility bills. Uh, people are being evicted, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, people are finding it harder to get into more affordable options like public and social housing. Uh, we had the uh, Anglicare National Rental Snapshot the other day, which found that uh, I think 1.4% of rental properties are affordable for a couple on the age pension and even less than that for, for a single person on the age pension, um, which is you know consistent with what we've seen over the last few years, but, but just continues to get worse. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, just a, a bad time. Uh, we were hoping that people on JobSeeker would be getting some relief from the budget, and, of course, that was very disappointing. They got 285 a day. Yeah, for 285. I'm not sure that uh, that's going to cover too many people's rent increases. Um, I noticed that Rahu, who uh, listeners probably know, the, the rental Renters and Housing Union, um, were protesting outside a real estate agent yesterday because they put up somebody's rent by $200 a week. That's a, a single person's rent up by $200 a week. Yeah. Um, so the, the kind of, you know, the, the quote-unquote increase to job seekers is just really pathetic. Um, there was an increase to uh, rent assistance, uh, I think 15% increase to rent assistance, 
Um, but I think, I mean, I don't know if this is ag position, but I'm pretty sceptical about land assistance, you know, which nominally is something that's supposed to help poorer people with housing affordability, but, but really is just directly handed to landlords, right? Like, all of that money goes to landlords. It's uh, yet another uh, benefit to, to the people offering housing at the low end of the market, including, you know, rooming house operators, slumlords, caravan park owners, just some of the, the worst people in the housing sector. Mm. We were saying earlier on the program that there's been heaps of articles lately, and almost by the day there's some sort of series of articles about the housing crisis, the housing problem. I noticed that... Um, um, ABC Brecky program has these discussions about it. There was one this morning, but all those discussions seek solutions in the private sector. None of them seem to say maybe one solution might be for the government to spend more on public housing. Yeah, I, I mean we've talked about this before. It's just baffling the ideological like brick wall that you run into when you try and suggest the the one practical solution that's worked historically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the you know, again, they, the, the, um, this morning there was a bloke, one of the three on this discussion this morning on Radio National was a bloke who's um, an executive of one of the build-to-rent companies and he, he, he sees the answer totally in the commercial sector. More of that stuff, more government help for it, and there's the, there's the solution, uh, Shane. Yeah, well, I mean, you understand why people in the private sector think the private sector is the solution. It's just a little harder to understand why the government necessarily thinks that. Yep. Uh, and the last month, um, I know Karina wanted to raise this, but she isn't here at the moment. Um, uh, you mentioned about people in small houses having problems when they, they, they're forced to move on. Has any, any, any resolution happened there at all? Uh, not really an update. So, uh, uh, yeah, there, there was a, a sort of tiny house park that went into receivership, um, and, and I think that's an ongoing situation where the residents are still trying to work out um, what's going to happen to them. Mm. And their money, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I also raised, I mentioned this to you, I said I mentioned this to you yesterday, and said, well, we've actually got one, but New South Wales is advertising for a, for a rental commissioner um, be the voice for residential renters in New South Wales and the commissioner, well, it's virtually an ombudsman-type role um, and, you know, doing all sorts of things, um, identifying practices or gaps that erode the rights of renters, etc. And the commissioner will also advocate to government for future reform opportunities and improvements to the residential rental market. And you tell me we've got a similar person here, but um, I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, right. So we do have a residential tenancies commissioner in Victoria. Her name's Heather Holst. Um, she's been in that position for a few years. It was created as part of the, the broader rental reforms that came in uh, a few years ago. I guess, like, I'm not sure how the, the, what the New South Wales model is, but the, the position in Victoria is similar to what you're saying, but really isn't an ombudsman-type role. So she's not resolving specific disputes for people. Her role's about, you know, collecting information... Uh, advocating with government for policy change, um, engaging with stakeholders and things like that. So not, not you know, you know, an ombudsman when you call up if you've got a problem about this or that. Uh, it's not really that sort of thing. You definitely can, if you're a renter, tell the commissioner your stories. She's got a renter's advisory group that she hears from regularly um, or, or otherwise on her website that you can get in touch to tell her about problems that you're having. 
but yeah, the, the role is more about systemic advocacy and information than about uh, resolving specific disputes. Uh, mm. She's just about. She was going to release uh, a Victorian rental snapshot. I think that was due to be released today, but has been pushed back. So yeah, there, there's a lot of information coming out of that office and a lot of advocacy going on. Hag did a big project last year, which I think we talked about a bit on this show. Uh, a, a forum for residential park residents that we co-organised with the commissioner. Yeah, and and how do well how do rentals get to know the existence of this position? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not really sure what their promotions plan is like. Uh, I mean, you can go if you want more information. You can go to rentingcommissioner.vic.gov.au. Uh, that's their website. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure how these commissioner roles get promoted. It seems like. Uh, you know, the, the Andrews government has been pretty keen to create commissioner positions. Um, we have a, a commissioner for senior Victorians. Uh, Gerard Mansour has just resigned or is resigning from that position. Uh, so we're going to have a new one soon. Uh, there's the, I can't think what Roe Allen's title is, something diversity something commissioner. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure how these roles are sort of promoted or, or publicised or how people are supposed to find out about them. Yeah, it's the problem. You probably sits there all day waiting for a phone call. <laughs> no idea. You mentioned about residential, um, about um, caravan parks and those things. Um, there was a recent article in The Age about people, these are people who travel around Australia in vans, but they said many people give it up much earlier than they'd planned because they suddenly find it's not what they thought. they living so close to each other, not having, not having your own space, etc., um, affects them and they, give, they, give, they toss in the towel and head home. But, but people permanently in those positions, do you get those sort of complaints at all that there's a real problem in that sort of living, just being so close to people and not having your own real space? Um, caravan parks definitely can have a lot of problems. There's, you know, quite a range from some, you know, at the, at the fancier end, you've got caravan parks that are, that are virtually retirement villages that are quite luxurious and well-appointed. Um, obviously, luxurious and well-appointed retirement villages have their own set of problems, but, you know, it's kind of its own thing. Um, but, you know, you also see caravan parks that are incredibly badly managed, um, and just just cater to people, you know, as a kind of tenure of last resort, people who have no other options and are forced to live in pretty uh, disappointing, really bad conditions, both physical conditions, you know, the, the physical squalor and disrepair of the places, and also just real uh, cruelty and exploitation by some operators. Um, we assisted some residents in a caravan park a few years ago, and the caravan park owner involved in that case is the first uh, landlord that I know of to have actually gone to jail for uh, offences related to his operating of a caravan park. So, you know, the conditions in caravan parks can be bad just in a a sort of next-level way beyond what you see in other kinds of housing. Mm. Uh, And what what was he charged with? So, I mean, maybe I'm being a bit a bit cavalier in saying it was connected to his running of the caravan park. It was a fairly complicated situation, but he was charged with assaulting one of the residents. Right, yeah. Uh, sorry, but I don't think the charge was assault. I'm using assault in the, the colloquial sense. I think he was charged with battery or something like that. He, uh, Yeah, he, he physically assaulted one of the residents. Mm. First of all, we better move. I've got to move on to our next guest, but we could... Um 
We maybe follow up on that one next month because it's uh, it's a pretty serious one, isn't it? Uh, all right, Shane. And that's so tomorrow. Um, Butte lunch yeah, and people go to the end. Uh, that cheery note. Come down tomorrow for a nice sandwich. <laughs> well, I, I, have shared one of the lunches there, and I can, I can vouch for them. They're wonderful lunches. So, if, if no other reason, <laughs> go along to the meeting of the of the of Hag tomorrow at um, at Ross House and uh, enjoy the lunch, and maybe even enjoy the uh, the discussion and the and the, what comes out of it. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Okay, Shane. Look, talk to you next month. But thanks a lot for your time. Okay, right here, Shane McGrath there from the Housing with Age Action Group. And after the break, we're going to be talking to Jack Verdon and um, maybe we'll wait and see. Yeah. (laughs) Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but Muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchus Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home we'll drop them in at 3CR and put them in the books and boots bin books and boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional first nations communities and children across the country contact us at books and boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au we love a good book Back on City Limits, and now we've got Jack Verdens on the line. How are you doing, Jack? Hey, good morning, and um, I'm on my own, sadly, without any tag team partner this week. Yeah, um, sadly, Catherine's... Catherine. Yeah, well, Catherine. Yeah. yeah, congratulations to, to Catherine um, for, for getting 
paid work on a Wednesday, but also we're very sad to, to not get to chat to you today. Um, yeah. And we were also hoping to get Fiona Ross on the line today. Um, but sadly, that is also not to be. Hopefully, maybe next month or, you know, yeah. sometime so, in the future. Hello, Fiona, if you're listening. But, um, yeah, we'll try and get her on for next month. As uh, a bidding man, I'll give you down. odds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I meet, I meet frequently with Fiona. Actually, we, uh, I ran into her at the um, action last Thursday with Margaret Kelly and the Barrett Beacon um, action on the steps of Parliament. So um, it was good to see the turnout from a number of, uh, of the activist groups at that event and strongly supporting Margaret. I guess people have heard that story about the Barrett Beacon. Yeah, and there were speeches on the Brecky show this morning as well about from that, um, that protest. But I want to come to that next, though, Jack, but I did want to cheer you up to open up the show today. Um, and this will warm the cockles of your heart, Jack. An article in Domain recently, the, the real estate thing that falls out of the nine papers, um, mm-hmm. and the, the story says profit is always a motivation for residential investors, which comes as a major surprise, I'm sure, to all of us. But at a time of such an acute housing shortage in Australia, many are also driven by altruistic factors. You'll be pleased to know, Jack, that landlords are driven by altruistic factors. So if you want to help increase the supply of social and affordable housing or create more options for accessible homes for people with disabilities, and it goes on to say you can do it with lots of government help. So that should cheer you up no end, Jack. Well, the the investors need a leg up. They Uh, sure do. It's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well... But last Thursday's rally, uh, it did seem like it was a, a very good event. Yeah, it was. Just just closing off on the investors, though. The um, I mean, the banks, as we heard about, you know, Price Waterhouse having great influence over over the tax tax regime. Um, so do the banks. I mean, if you remember back, uh, it, it took Morrison years to have the inquiry into the finance industry, and uh, forever saying we don't need it, we don't need it, we don't need it. And then look what we actually found out when they did do the inquiry. And and these guys are the ones who are behind the um, the property investors. One third of their lending, one third, therefore, of their profit, it comes from that industry. And uh, yeah, and that's that's a massive change from um, back in the nineteen nineties when it was you know it was all public housing being built in those days. You know, there wasn't this property investment. But anyway, that's that's ugly. But yeah, going back to Margaret. Yeah, look, it was a. Uh, the, the, the speeches were good. I mean, Margaret tells the, the, the good story, uh, you know, two weeks before Christmas, finding out you're going to be evicted from your home for many years, and, and unnecessarily so. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I was there. I think, actually, I, um, I held one of the posts on the banner as we marched down Spring Street and... Uh, and even had some cross-pollination with Rahu, um, Shane's group. It was like one of his colleagues was there, and we, uh, he and I um, helped Margaret get into the building uh, where the guards ahead of time were trying to stop her from entering just to deliver a petition. That's all she wanted to do. And um, in the end, ended up having a glue herself to uh, 
some of the um, the furniture in inside the building to get some attention. Um, but sadly, in the end, we've we've got no reply from the minister, um, no meeting with the minister, and the, the only reply we got was. Uh, well, it sounds like it just came out of the spin machine of the Andrews government. But all I did was quote the um, the policy behind, you know, we're going to build 350 new, new beautiful apartments on this um, estate in Barrett Beacon. And um, that, that's all the answer they got. And no, no human compassion or whatever. But anyway, it hasn't finished. And uh, the Greens have been brilliant in Parliament, actually... Um, bringing all of this up, and uh, Catherine Copsley also involved there uh, from the Greens, so speaking about it in Parliament, and uh, I was actually just, just half an hour ago, they've actually got a meeting on this Thursday online about the further actions around the um, around the Barrett Beacon, which has been read, led by the Greens, so, um, which, is, which is fantastic. We haven't given up yet. Yeah, so I actually got a um, an email update from Howard Morosi that said um, if you want to register for that Greens meeting, you can go to www.greens.org.au forward slash PH briefing. So that's, yeah, that's greens.org.au forward slash PH briefing if you want to register yeah. for that. Yeah, so... It, so yeah, and, and Catherine Copsey stood up in Parliament and spoke for four minutes. It's on it's on the Facebook site for the, the Barrett Beacon action. And she she told the story of Margaret and asked for a response. And and all, all you get is these clowns interjecting with their, with their smart-ass comments, you know. No one's worried about the human aspect of the story. And uh, it seems like... Well, there seems to be a groundswell. This whole area of housing seems to be causing a groundswell of anger in the public. You know, we, we've got to stop having politicians being politicians and following policy based on ideology and actually start trying to sort problems out. Um, and you know, and thankfully, you know, the minor parties are now getting in, you know, getting onto these uh, politicians and calling them out, shaming them out. And, uh, and not caving into their bullying and pressure in, in Parliament. Uh, and we've been talking on this program, <clears throat> Dawn, I mean, the other day when I read this, when I picked up this information, but on this program for well over 20 years now, we've been raising the issue of public housing waiting lists and the need to address them by, surprise, surprise, public housing. Um, and yet the latest figures show that in that time, the waiting lists have in fact exploded and they're much bigger than they were even then. So it's it's getting worse, not better, Jack. Yeah, well, the waiting list is now well over 120,000 souls in Victoria. Um, it's funny how Homes Victoria actually published a waiting list. So you can go, go onto their website and find it there. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, it's... Uh, there are so many people just given up on even getting their name on the waiting list. So the bit that scares you know, scares me is some people are saying that the you know, the actual demand is probably double that. And the Greens are quoting now in their federal um, campaign that the waiting uh, the requirement is for about six hundred and twenty thousand 
um, homes across Australia. So Victoria's fair share of that would be around about two hundred thousand. And they're saying just in the in the time in over the next few years it's going to go up by another seventy thousand. So that's when you talk about the um, you know, the growth in numbers. And in the meantime, you, you know, you're talking about astronomical numbers like that. And in the meantime, we have a federal policy. This is one of the um, the core policies of the Labor Party, based on Albanese's you know backstory about public housing and all that sort of stuff. And they're planning on developing 30,000 properties across Australia over the next five years. 30,000. That's all, you know. And and I think they've got their numbers wrong because they're only actually part of their their funding is five hundred million dollars a year to do that. So that works out. I did the sums on that. That works out. It's about one hundred and seventy thousand dollars per property. You've got to be joking. They haven't even got their sums right um, in terms of their funding. So that's where the Greens are actually calling, you know, actually blocking that uh, bill at the moment in the Senate. And they're actually asking for, 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 well, 10 times that budget. They're also asking for a rental freeze. And they're also calling out the sham of the um, some of this stuff that's come up in the, in the budget, like the bill to rent uh, tax concessions. Now, that's, that's not actually going to provide any housing for the, the, you know, the people on lowest incomes, whatever. Actually, it was an interesting uh, thing quoted in a meeting by Max Chandler Maver last night. Is the Greens uh, person in the uh, in federal parliament who's working on this? And he he talked about Mervac doing one of these build to rent projects. They're actually charging twenty percent higher than than the average rent in the neighbourhood mm. after they do their build to rent. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> I was going to raise that next, Jack. In fact, you just raised what my next question was going to be, that one of the biggest items in the housing items in the budget was uh, concessions to the build-to-rent market, but that, in fact, caters only for the high end of the rental market. So it's, yeah. it, it's in yeah. fact, giving money to private companies to make more money, I assume. Yeah, well, and, and, and the, you know, Murbeck's one of the biggest, and, uh, yeah, and they're actually proud of the fact that they were able to, you know, because it's all brand new, they could extract an extra 20% from the well, what the market's paying in the area, you know. So, yeah, so government's basically keep putting money into the pockets of developers and it's, it's not helping the, the housing crisis. The housing crisis is, you know, the, the people who, who end up on the street because you know, where they're living gets sold by the landlord uh, or, you know, just, just the general lack of rentals, um, you know, rental affordability which, again, is another one of the Greens' policies, is actually a rent freeze, which initially, I think, uh, Albanese called that, that policy pixie dust. You know, again, you know, not, you know, not, not having a mature discussion about it, just denigrating the, um, the, the whole concept of what, the, what was being pushed. And now, but it shows your pressure worse. It's, in the, um, it's now actually on the agenda of the National Cabinet a rent freeze or rent action and okay some of this stuff's done at state level that's the whole purpose of the national cabinet where the states get together with federal and it looks like now the pressure from the greens is actually starting to tell them they're, they're going to be considering that so you know keep it up everyone <laughs> and, mm. and one of the things that actually is 
scared, I think, the, the politicians in Canberra. This, this is where I'm talking about this grassroots people getting angry. Uh, the Greens have been going around door-knocking in um, Labor seats. You've got about 300 volunteers um, now on the job, and they're talking to people about the housing crisis. And all of a sudden, the politicians, oops, we don't like people talking about that, mm-hmm. especially with the people who vote for us. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's actually becoming a bigger issue now, housing, than the, even than... Um, the cost of petrol or, or health and all or that climate sort of or anything else. But <clears throat> yeah. in fact, I was saying here, yes, we've been saying that there's there's articles all over the place, discussions all over the place around the issue. How do we solve it? But none of them go to the question. None of them go to the simple solution of the government providing public housing. It's all about the government providing more funding for the private sector to solve the problem created by the private sector. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a bit that really gets me because a lot of these articles come out of research. And so one got, one's got a question, who's doing the research? And what we've got here is a situation, you know, think back to big tobacco, you know, where you could, you could justify smoking because of the research that they, they financed. And so we've got the banks and we've got the developers and we've got community housing. Now, all the people with interest in, 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 a, in not having public housing, and they're great at getting this research done. And I challenge, I challenge all those people out there, you know, the foundations and the forums and all these fancy names, and even our, even our universities, our RMIT, Melbourne University, go out and do some studies on, on the, the value of public housing and the fact that provision of public housing drives down rents in the market in general and drives down the cost of housing. Go and do a study on that. You know, go and, go and tell us how having 200,000 public housing properties will actually cause, you know, XYZ dropping the price of housing. Mm-hmm. But see, no one's, you know, it, that's, that will take someone time to do and no one's pay, you know, willing to pay for it. Because mm. the people have the money to pay for it have got interests in elsewhere. And so of course, it really it's, been, that whole area. it's been pointed out, Jack, that... Um, that adequate public housing, in fact, forces rentals in the private sector to drop as well, but they don't go into that, do they? Yeah, and the uh, the Greens were presenting some graphs of things over time that are actually starting to show that. So there's some brilliant research opportunities there. So all these people who are are worried about the housing crisis, but their answer is build to rent or more community housing, Go and do your studies, people, on the value of public housing. And it's, it's, public housing is way bigger than just the housing crisis at the bottom end. It'll actually you know, seep through the whole housing industry, driving down prices everywhere. And you know, I think you know, this, I, I just hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, if, if the government doesn't act on this, we start getting people marching in the streets angry angry about not being heard and, and not, it's not just a minority of people that, you know at the low end income but people generally getting angry at, at what's what's a con I'm mean, just the same as you now priced waterhouse and the tax to the department so now you've got all the lobbyists and the you know and the housing policy that they're driving as well makes me sick mm. yeah um, we did get a news item that I mentioned at 
<coughs> up the start of the program that the New South Wales Housing Minister has ordered a pause on the sale of public housing stock over there, and that's on the back of $3.6 billion public housing stock being sold um, with the previous state government. But do you think that's an indication that um, something more on that line could be start to happen in Victoria as well? Yeah, well, there's something very strange going on here because supposedly they're building uh, 12,000 um, community housing and affordable housing properties over five years, or whatever the period was, and um, they've, they've, they've counted that they've actually done half of that. So that means 6,000 mm. should have been added to our stock. But the Greens are saying they've looked at the overall numbers that, are, that the government's reporting. They're only increased by 78 so somewhere along the line, a lot of a lot of stock is also being lost. If they've done a plus six thousand, they must have done a minus six thousand elsewhere. And I suspect it's public housing, mm. um, you know, off, being offloaded um, or being transferred somewhere else. Who knows? Yeah, time's up, Jack. But uh, on one note to finish on, I would imagine that if Albanese were a kid today he and his mum would uh, probably be having to live in a car or, or be homeless if they didn't have a car. Well, that could be the case, yeah. It's, it's a lottery, and there's certainly not enough public housing to go around, as, as we said, you now in terms of the waiting lists. So let's get the pitchforks out and get out <laughs> into the streets. All right, Jack, and we'll, we'll have those pitchforks ready by next month again when we talk to you again. Okay, good on you. Okay, thanks a lot, Jack Burton okay, there. He's an um, activist in public housing, obviously. And uh, Zeb, thanks for your time. We, that's it. Next week we've got, um, we got something. We've got yeah. fourth wedge. I think we're going to talk. We've got a surprise for yeah. everyone that well, will also be a surprise to us. We haven't teed it up. We are hoping to talk hydrogen next week.